you don't know uh, who I am, my name's John Mark. I'm the youth pastor here. I do some online stuff and really whatever else needs to be filled in. We all kind of do a bunch of things around here. So we just love to serve the church. And this is something that we all, all the pastors here on staff, have kind of had this similar approach to church. We, you know, we feel called to serve the church. And I think we do such, I, I think we do a good job. You know, this sounds a little cocky. <laughs> Of really, you know, not to boast or anything, but I think there's just a, a unified team that we have here at this church that's really special. We're willing to jump in and do different things. You know, on Friday, Bobby was just saying we had a youth rally, and Bobby led us on Friday. This whole team led us on Friday. Pastor Jesse, our kids pastor, was in the band on Friday. He's not in with us now. He's in with the kids, but... You know, Pastor Jesse, I just want to brag on him for a moment. He was here serving, and then during everything else, he was sitting with our junior highs, loving them, being with them, caring for them. And then when the band got asked to come back, he just walked from randomly in the middle. We all thought he was off sleeping. No, that's not actually true. But he just walked up on stage from the middle of the room. That's how much he loves your kids, uh, students that were in his ministry last year. He sat with them. It was so amazing to see that. Yeah, it was a great rally, as you've probably heard already. And uh, yeah, we... You know, we don't need to talk about it too much more, but we'll move on in here. So we're entering our next week of this series. We're talking about faith and life. And I want to share a story with you guys about food. Who likes food? I, you know, I don't know why, accidentally or not, all of my illustrations always revolve around food. And it's probably because I'm Italian. We've talked about this before. And often when it's cold outside and when, you know, when it's really cold, I, I'm learning I hate the cold, as I've shared with you. I'm learning I really don't like it when it's negative 40. I mean, does anybody actually like that? Because if you are, I, I'm sorry, I'll pray for you. But I know when I am cold, when I am bored, when I need to just daydream a little bit, I often think about food. And I think the reason why is because my family, I, I come from a family of incredible cooks. Like seriously, my, my Nona makes the best food you could ever have in your life. Uh, you know, Brent, I heard that laugh. Brent was my known as pastor for a little while, and he's had the lasagna. He's had it. It's life-changing. It's transformational. It truly, truly is. And my, my mom was an incredible cook. She learned from the school of my Nona. My, my sisters, my wife Natalie, an incredible cook. So my whole life, I've been surrounded by just incredible food. You can probably tell a little bit. Incredible, incredible food. And this one time when I was in high school, my friend invited me over to his house for lasagna. Uh-oh, you probably already know where I'm going here. He invited me over for lasagna. I'm like, I'm like, let's go. This is my favorite meal. When I would go to my Nona's house, if you just showed up there, she'd be like, oh, I'm going to go down to the basement kitchen because we obviously need two kitchens. And I'm going to go and take some meat off of our hanging meat and cheese off of our hanging cheese. I'll make fresh pasta noodles and make fresh lasagna. I'm not even joking. We'd be there for two hours. She'd make lasagna, bring it out. We'd eat it. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So I'm at my friend's house. We're chilling. We're playing some, probably some video games in the basement or some mini sticks, wrestling, whatever's happening down there. And then we come up because the food is ready. We hear the oven. We're ready to go. The lasagna is almost there. And so we sit at the table. <coughs> ah. Oh, man. Just thinking about it kind of makes me go crazy. I, we sit at the table, and I'm ready. We, we, we sit there. I put the lasagna in my mouth. And I'm expecting this, this feeling that I get every time I eat food. But this time, there's this different feeling. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it felt like my body was rejecting the food that was in my mouth. 
and I didn't know what to do. What do you do in this moment? You're sitting there, you've never had food like this. And you put the lasagna in and you're sitting there and, and what do you do about it? So I did what anyone else would probably do. I run to the bathroom. I get up and run straight to the bathroom. You don't wanna, you don't wanna spit it out on the table. Like that's not nice. So I run to the bathroom. Looking back, probably not the best scenario. I was never really invited back to this house, if you can imagine. And on this day, my faith in good food was shattered. It was shattered, this, this wall, this thing of I only knew good food. My faith in food always satisfying me was so real and evident until this moment where my faith in good food was absolutely shattered. You know, I've realized in my life, a couple of different things over the years, and things always seem to be shifting and changing and growing. But there's this, this thing that has come to my mind, and this story kind of relates to it, that faith without evidence is just a thought you believe in. Faith without evidence is really just a thought you believe in. See, I had faith that every bite of food was good. Every bite of food was good until the evidence didn't line up with that faith on this day. You know, maybe it's a faith that the Leafs will win the Stanley Cup. Still, there's no evidence yet. I'm still believing. There's still faith. But the evidence hasn't lined up with that. It's just a good thought I still believe in somehow. You know, maybe it's faith that my situation will improve the things that I'm facing the way that I want them to. We haven't seen that evidence take place yet. See, faith without evidence is just a thought you believe in. But I believe that faith with evidence becomes a truth that you can live for. Faith with evidence becomes a truth that you can live for. We're going to come back to this point, but today we're continuing our series, Listen, Learn, and Live for the Father. And we're talking about faith and life and about how they have to coexist. We're going to read some scripture together. It's going to be up on the screen, but we're going to be reading from James this morning. James chapter 2. We're going to read from verse 14 to 26, so bear with me. It's up there with me. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and set them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This morning we're going to be looking at the stages of faith these, there's multiple areas, there's multiple ways that we go, these different stages that we have in our faith journey. We're we'll talking about them today, but before we get into it, let's pray. 
Dear God, as we dig into your word this morning, would you pierce our hearts? God, nothing I say, nothing matters as long as it's truth that's provided. So God, would your truth speak to us this morning? God, would we have hearts and ears open to hear and receive everything it is that you have for us today? Amen. Amen. So the stages of faith, these are the different ways, the different journey that we all find ourselves on, and you can probably find yourself on all the different stages that we're going to talk about this morning. The beginning stage, there's no faith. Stage number one, no faith at all. Maybe you've been there, maybe you're there currently, but this is kind of that stage where you don't really even believe that God is real. Maybe you are here today and you're feeling that and you just got dragged here by somebody or you showed up randomly to buy something from Pastor Bobby. I don't know, that's happened literally this morning because we're selling things. I don't know why you're here. Maybe you have no faith and you find yourself here this morning. Or maybe you've been there before where you didn't believe in God, you didn't even believe that he was real. You've said things like, I could never be associated with a God who, fill in the blank. You know, these people I often find are glass half half empty type of people with everything. Everything is always on the negative side. It's always never going to be good. It's always really critical. You know, they, we don't, they don't, these people don't really believe that God could have a relationship with them. Like, how does that even make sense to these people? I don't know if you've been there. I know I've found myself there at different points in my life. But see, at some point in this, this area, at some point in this stage, we move from not knowing Jesus to now believing in him. We move move from not really having any faith in all in who God is or who he says he is to all of a sudden being like, you know what, maybe there's something to this. We begin to put our faith in him. We begin to believe in him and who he says that he is in the Bible. See, this is important. This is incredibly important. And if, if you are listening, you could probably remember that time that maybe this happened for you. You know, we have to believe that Jesus is our Lord, is the Lord of our lives, that he is who he says he is, that he died for you and for me. And he loves me despite my failures. And what an incredible place to find ourselves in the faith journey. Moving from no faith to having some faith, and I call this initial faith. You know, this isn't like a scientific thing up here. This is just some thoughts put together, and I think that there's some truth in all of this. But I think we go from having no faith to this moment of initial faith. And then we go kind of one or two directions from here. But initial faith is this incredible moment where we move from having no faith in Jesus to realizing that he actually has the best in mind for our lives. We begin to realize that it's not just a bunch of rules that we have to follow, um, but it's actually a life worth pursuing. You know, the reminder of this series that Pastor Bill has has been nailing over and over and everyone else has shared, that's been really shaping for me and really helpful for me to identify some things. But he's been saying this, that at this point in our faith journey, when we find ourselves in the family of God, once we begin to realize that, hey, God has saved us, he loves me, I want to be a part of this thing. Once we're there, sin now doesn't separate us from God. It doesn't separate us from God because we are in the family. What sin does, it withholds us from the best that God has to offer us. You see, when we're faithless, our sin actually separates us from God. But now that we believe we have faith, nothing can separate us from the love of the Father. This is a powerful truth that helps us move from a shame-based life to a shame when we feel think of our sin to being able to move into a repentance mode because we realize that the Father loves us, that you know, maybe it's something that we have to do that's that's withholding us from the best, so maybe we have to pay the cost, like we even sang about already. 
This is a powerful statement. That's, you know, over the past couple months with Pastor Bill, a lot of my ideas around grace has, has been challenged. I think I didn't realize how black and white I viewed the world and viewed different things. And, and if you read the book of James like we just did, you can see that he's pretty black and white about a lot of things in that book. There's probably a reason it was my favorite book growing up because it was like you're looking for truth, you're looking for answers, and it felt like there was answers in James. You see, often I find that once we move from no faith to faith, we enter this stage I like to call idle faith. This is kind of where we find ourselves, and the majority of time we kind of find ourselves going from here to the next stage and back, and we kind of weave in and out of this. Verse 18 says this, it says, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Useless here in the Bible, this word that they use here that is translated, this Greek word can be translated into a couple different words. It can be translated into useless. It can be translated into lazy. It can be translated into idle. And I really like this word idle. I think it helps clarify some things here for me. You see, idle, idle really means that, you know, that the thing that you're doing can't produce the thing that you had hoped it to do. It's idle. It's stagnant, like your car in traffic on the 401. If you've ever been there, you've been stuck, you, you have all the tools you need to get to where you need to go, but you're just idly sitting there, standing there with everything you need, yet you're stuck, you can't move, you're idle. All the right things are available for it to move. See, I love how James points out that demons have faith in God. Harsh comparison to us, maybe a little bit. But what he's saying is, yeah, they have faith. They're initial. They understand who he is. They have this initial faith in who he is. But does it change their life? What good is faith alone? Strong point he's making, but a point nonetheless. You see, here's, here's something that I have been challenged with personally that I want to share with you. An idle faith is still faith nonetheless. An idle faith is still faith nonetheless. And this was a challenging thing for me to wrap my head around. See, Romans 10 says this. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. You see, this is, this is really good news because it means that the gift of eternal life, of a relationship with God, is available to us freely. We don't have to earn it by our works. We don't have to earn it by what we do, by our deeds. That's, a, that's good news for all of us. Really good news. And the reality is often I think we find ourselves struggling with the tension of staying here. With the tension of staying in an idle faith. See, we believe, we have faith, we have all the things that we maybe need to move forward, but we are struggling with this tension of is it worth living for? Is it worth changing my life around? Maybe it's still stuck in that good thought mode where it's just this good thought that we have, this good thing that we're holding on to, but it hasn't turned into something that is worth living for yet. You know, hear me, I think for me a lot, I grew up in the church, my parents were pastors, spent a lot of time around Christians. You know, there was this moment when I was like seven years old that I found out there were non-Christians in the world, and I was blown away. My worldview was shattered. I was like, why would people not do this thing? 
I've been around Christians, and I know sometimes when we are Christians for a while, when we spend time around other Christians, we can become really judgmental. I've been there many times. You know, I, I think sometimes when we hear things like this, when we're talking about faith, we can be thinking about the person who's like, oh yeah, they say they're a Christian, but their life's not really lining up with that. We can be thinking about, about this a lot, and I would point out to you, we don't need to stay here long, but I would remind you of what Jesus says. Stop pointing at the plank in someone else's eye and focus on your own. It's not our job to judge those around us. You see, those people, even though they may not be living, their life might not be lining up with a faith lived out, they still made that first important step of admitting they need a, a savior. They've still done that. Maybe they're finding themselves in this idle mode. You see, I heard it once said this, that if you have enough time to complain about someone else's character, you're probably not spending enough time working on your own. And I think that's a powerful statement sometimes because we can find ourselves so wrapped up in what everyone else is doing, so focused on what people are saying and doing and so frustrated and so angry, yet our own character is just as bad. We're just better at hiding it. You know, a good illustration that helped me identify and understand this whole idea of an idle faith. You know, we're in the middle of winter. Right? We're in the middle of winter and you look outside and the trees look dead, right? No leaves, no fruit. You know, right outside my office is this bush and there is this bird's nest. And it's been empty and all of a sudden this week there was birds in it. I don't know where they came from or if they're going to live or what. I've been worrying about birds all week because I keep seeing them flying around. I'm like, it's going to get cold. Go back to Florida. But we look outside in winter and all these trees, they just look dead and dormant. They look like just terrible. But the reality is, a tree is still alive even when there's no fruit or leaves on it. The tree is still alive even when it's dormant and idle. It's still alive. It's not dead. The tree is still alive even when there is no fruit or leaves on it. See, the reality is we can stay here for a long time. We can stay in an idle faith. But if we really want the best of what God has to offer us, if we truly want the best of what God has to offer us, then there is a next step that we have to take. And this is so, so important, so crucial. This is what this series has been all about, getting the best of what God has to offer us. Yes, we can stay in this idle faith where it doesn't really transform us, and I think we could even argue that we're saved, that we might even get to heaven. But there's so much more available to us. And that's what we're trying to communicate. This is what the Bible, this is what Jesus is trying to communicate to us. You know, I believe that when we have idle faith, the biggest barrier we have to jump over is our own, is our own desire of what we think is best for our life. I think the biggest barrier here is that we have to identify, you know, what do we feel is best for us versus what is, does God feel is best for us? You know, we have to decide personally, is this life that God is now asking me to live worth it? Is it worth living for? Which moves us to our final stage of the faith journey, a faith lived out. Verse 21 says this, Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. You see, faith lived out. This is the moment 
for us. This is the moment where we move from follower of Jesus to a disciple of Jesus, where our faith moves from idle to lived out. This is the moment that we choose to live a surrendered life, leaving behind what we think is best for us and replacing that with the best that God has to offer us. You know, if our desire is to honor the Father, our faith must work, as Bill has put it before. Our faith must work. If our desire is to honor God in all we do, say, wherever we are, it means our faith has to work. We have to listen to God's command. We have to learn the ways of obedience and live them out. But we have to count the cost. We have to understand the cost. Faith lived out costs us something. And if you've been around long enough, you probably know what it costs you. It's probably cost you a lot to this point. But we have to identify what is the cost. You know, I used to, to tell our students a lot, actually. I've been a pretty harsh youth pastor for a long time. And I'm learning that maybe it's not so black and white. But I used to say to our students, and I don't necessarily think it's wrong, but I think I have a little bit more clarity. I used to say that the price of following Jesus was your life, and I would hit this point home over and over and probably scare them more than anything. Not because I wanted to, but because I wanted them to see how important this was. I didn't want to get them in accidentally and be like, hey, by the way, you also have to do this, this, and this, and this. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be very clear up front. And maybe that helped, maybe it didn't. And I don't necessarily think it's wrong that it costs us our life, but I think I have a little bit more clarity. I think what it means is that it costs us being the most important thing in our life and making God the most important thing. Really, it means that we put him in his rightful place, that we allow him to be Lord of our life. We allow him to fill his rightful place in our life. You know, in Proverbs, it says that the fear of Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I think I have had a skewed version of what this fear was. It's not a fear like we talked about earlier where if I mess up, I go to hell. You know, maybe how I've, I've thought or like the teaching I've been given, maybe that's how I viewed it as, hey, I, I believe in God, but if there's an altar moment, I better get up there because what if I mess up today? I might not get into heaven. You know, I think I had that, that mentality for a long time. I don't think it's a fear about, I'm, if I mess up, I'm going to hell, but a fear of us falling into a trap where we move from having God in his rightful place to replacing him with ourselves. It's this fear that, I'm not out of the family, but a fear that I didn't give God all I could because I was more concerned with what I wanted to do, what I thought was best. A fear that my awe and respect for God and his power and of who he is and that he chooses to have a relationship with me was taken for granted. You know, I've learned the hard way that the cost for me has been my pride. A cost for me has been my desire to be loved by people around me. A cost for me is my feelings of insecurity or hurts that I faced and allowing those to be barriers for me to move into what God has for me. A cost for me has, has been this need to be right all the time. And maybe I'm not the only person in this room. A cost for me has been my comfort. You know, a cost I feel for all of us is this is this feeling and this, this thing that we are called to do of every day laying our life down as an offering to God, saying, whatever you need me to do today, I will do it for you. That comes at a cost. But can I encourage you for a moment that whatever the cost is to you, whatever that cost is to you, would you seriously consider paying it? Would you seriously consider paying it? 
Because I believe if you do, that's when you move from just having a good thought to a life that has evidence of God in it. That's the moment we begin to receive the best that God has for us. You know, I'm going to invite the band up here. and You guys can make your way up. I want to share a couple stories of some of our students. We have an incredible group of students here at Calvary. And this week I was spending time with a couple of different ones. And I was with this grade 12 student. And we're sitting there. He had asked to go out and we're sitting there eating shawarma. And he's sharing his heart with me. And I'm, I'm so amazed. I've been his youth pastor since he was in grade 8. And I've been able to watch him journey and, and move out of this mode where maybe there was a little bit more comfort. And now he's finding himself, as he's digging into his Bible, as he's learning more about Jesus, I'm seeing on him this desire to now put his faith into action. It's not just staying in that idle state. It's actually being, he's being motivated to change and do different things. And this week he was sharing the story with me, which I think is so incredible. He was uh, at, he's getting ice cream Friday night, last Friday with his friends at Dairy Queen. He was there, they were eating ice cream, and he sees this, this person who's homeless sitting there, uh, and they're sleeping, and they fell asleep in their ice cream. And he notices that, you know, the friends he's with, they are thinking like, oh, that guy probably deserves this. And the workers are leaving this person there. They're not really doing anything about it. And he just felt motivated to go and care for this person, to do something for him, to clean him up, to help him get up on his feet, not to get him out of there, but just to, to care for him. He felt this deep sense of empathy for him. And in that moment, that these good thoughts he had were put into action. And I was really proud of him as he shared this. And this is just one story in a long line of stories where this kid has moved from an idle faith to a faith lived out where it's now impacting what he does, who he's with, where he's finding himself. He's doing things about it. You know, then I was with another student in grade nine this week who, who hasn't really been around here. I ran into him uh, in September at a football game at Holy Cross, and we were talking, and I invited him back out, and we were talking, and then all of a sudden, two weeks ago, he texts me. says, hey, do they still do that thing on Wednesday nights? I'm like, yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah, you can come out. And so he showed up last week, and he asked if we could go out uh, after school. And so we got together after school on uh, Wednesday this week, actually, and he was sharing with me all the things he's been going through. He just found out that his dad, who's been living with, isn't his birth dad. During COVID, his, his dad actually was in jail, and all this stuff was going on in his life. And he explained to me how anxious he's been, and how stressed out he's been, and how, how scared he's been. And he said, yeah, I came to youth last week, and I just felt safe. I felt peace for the first time. You know, I've been really anxious, and all of a sudden, I just really wasn't when I was there. And he was sharing with me this just desire to know more about Jesus and to understand it better. And I was just so taken back by this. See, when we pay the cost to move into a faith lived out, transformation of our heart takes place. That's when we begin to receive the best that God has in store for us. You know, I want to go back to this statement I made earlier that faith with evidence becomes a truth you can live for. You see, faith alone can be hard to come up with a reason to pay the cost. Faith alone can be hard to come up with a reason to pay the cost. Because when the faith starts to produce something in our lives, when it brings change, when it brings healing, when it brings restoration, when it brings comfort, forgiveness, when it brings us a father, it becomes something worth living for. And the challenge with this statement is that what if the evidence we desire isn't the evidence we see?
right? I prayed for healing and it didn't come. I prayed for this person to show up and they didn't. I prayed for the situation to change, but the way I desired it to change never happened. You know, what if it is the evidence we desire isn't the evidence we see? I think what I've learned is that maybe my faith has been in the wrong evidence. Maybe the evidence we need to put our faith in is that God is who he says he is. Exodus 34, this is the most quoted verse in the Bible. This is, G, this is God, he shows up before Moses and this is what he says about his character. He says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That's who God says that he is. Maybe we have to trust that God is who he says he is, that he is compassionate, full of love, faithful to us. You know, so that grace that we receive freely from God for all the things that we've done, maybe we have to give a little bit back to him and say, God, the, the evidence I'm looking for is in who you are. Maybe not so much the thing that I need it to be, the best, what I think is best, but what you think is best. Faith with evidence becomes a truth that you can live for. You see, Abraham's faith was made complete by what he did. If that evidence of our life doesn't show up, it's going to be really hard to pay the cost. You know, there's some questions that are going to go up on the screen here. You know, and I just want you to, for a moment, the band might sing a song, and then I'll come up and give you further instruction. But for a moment, I just want you to look at these three questions. And I want you to seriously answer them. Maybe you need to write them down so you can do this another time. But what I want to ask you today is evaluate where you find yourself in the stages of faith. Maybe you find yourself with no faith. Maybe you're at the beginning stages of it. Maybe you're finding yourself with an idle faith or you are in this faith lived out mode and you're seeing good fruit. You know, where do you find yourself? And then why do you find yourself there? Be honest with yourself. What's holding you back from moving to the next stage? You know, another good reflection question is, is your faith that you have in Jesus currently, as it stands, worth living for? The band is going to sing this for a moment, and I would just like you to, however you need to, maybe you need to close your eyes for a moment and pray. Maybe you need to write this down on a note on your phone or in your notebook, and just think about these questions for a couple minutes before we respond together.